share a simple word titled, When He Walks In. Oh, oh, the subtitle is My Resignation. I have come to resign this morning. I've come to resign from our ministry. Now, Pastor Paul is the head of our board of directors, and so I need him to get a hold of this that I'm resigning. I'm resigning from being Mr. Youth Guy for the last 20 years. September will be 20 years all over America, two and a half million miles. I'm resigning. I'm done. I'm done. Done. Resigning from having to have a full calendar. I'm done. Resigning from worrying about finances on Mondays. I'm resigning. And in fact, as I move into this word, I call this my resignation when he walks in. Because I have figured out that when God walks in, none of that matters. And last night, as, as evangelist Sean, my, my dear friend who I love deeply, was sharing, I, I was resigning. Because I have found out. You're never going to be used by God until you're dead. And so I must preach this today because it's the intersection of the anointing and the glory. In fact, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 20. In just a moment, we'll get there. But have you ever been in a service, in a, a powerful service? And I mean, and I'm not talking about the, the skinny, skinny jean, hip theologian stuff we're dealing with today. I'm not talking about all that. I'm not talking about, I remember when I was pastoring, for the first nine months I was miserable because it's not my grace, number one. But, but I would, you know, I tried to do everything. I'm watching everybody online and I'm like, well, I can sit there like this on a stool and have my little ear thing going on and, and uh, that didn't work. And, and, and finally after nine months, I'll never forget on a Sunday morning, I'm miserable, I'm miserable and God took me back to where David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation, renew a right spirit. Right spirit means the original anointing. David was a worshiper who tried to be a king. He got it backwards. And, and until God takes you back to your original anointing, you'll be miserable. And the Lord said, stand up and resign this morning. And I stood up at the church and I resigned and a gasp went out because all these people had joined the vision in nine months and it was growing and exploding. And, but I was miserable because I had walked away from my original calling, which was that of the evangelist. And that's what the Lord has been taking me on this journey of going from glory to glory to glory. In fact, follow me because I, I must share this. And have you ever been in a service where, where, I mean, it's not even about the singers. It's not even about the cool uh, orator on stage. It's not even about their giftings anymore. It's as if you don't even care if they're there. It's as if suddenly something came in the building. As if God stopped by. Now, obviously, we know in Revelation 3, talking about today's church, the Laodicean church, he's stuck outside. Because we've really learned how to do church without God. It is a business. I mean, it is all about creative arts. It's all about all the different stuff. And, but when God, and I don't want to get off on that. You, you can read my book. But, but 
It's as if time stands still. It's when Kronos stops and Kairos kicks in. It's that moment when God walks in and everything changes. It's a transformation. It's, it's where you forget what's going on. Listen, there's been this overwhelming sense in my spirit lately. It's a frustration. And, and, and Pastor Paul, I quoted him in the book, frustration and agitation of the mother of intercession. And Ecclesiastes 7 says, frustration is good for the heart. God has to frustrate you because, because he won't let me stay normal. Sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. And so you have to be pushed. And some of you are at the crossroads in this building this morning. Because you got your Starbucks friends that came with you and visited, but they're telling you you shouldn't do that every week. And so you have chosen to stand at the crossroads of yesterday and today, the crossroads of work. See, I'm learning that Jesus will frustrate you and the desire for more of Jesus will always produce three things. And I figured this out, the frustration of knowing there's another level, a passion to keep pushing forward and a thirst that will never be quenched by yesterday's encounter. He begins to push you. So I'm preaching again, uh, my resignation, but when he walks in that transformation, it's 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 what Sir Francis Drake said. He said, "Disturb us, O oh Lord, when we're too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dream too little, when we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O oh Lord." Somebody say, "Disturb us." Now let me show you a transformational moment because I'm going to take you from our American concept of Jesus, which is the early part of the Gospels, to. The revelatory of who he became because we love the loving Jesus we love the bring the children up Jesus we love let's feed 5,000 let's cast out a demon let's even curse a tree and flip over a table and make a whip but we don't really want the awe of God because if the awe of God comes it will change the way we do church it will change the way we think about him. It will change the way we talk about him. It's the difference in John laying his head on his chest at the Last Supper and jumping over to Revelation 1 verse 17 where he says, and as I beheld him, I fell on my face as a dead man. It's a transformation moment. Let me show you one of those transformation moments. We all love Mary. Mary was a part of the, the three that went to the tomb. Mary was very close to Jesus, the sister uh, of, of Martha and Lazarus. We love Mary. Mary just, I mean, she was in many ways had a horrible past. That's who God uses. The unqualified. See, writing this book changed me. It changed me. It changed me because I, I didn't search out everybody's websites. I found him. And, and the thing that I need you to understand is, is looking over at John, the 20th chapter, I'm going there and then I'll get deeper. The Bible, let me show you something because we want Jesus of the first part of the gospels, but, but we don't really want the King of revelation because the King of revelation, yeah, that's not the American Jesus. It's just not, it's not the microwave Christianity. It's not the really cool new Hollywood kind of Christian movie. It's not that. I honestly think when we get to heaven, some of us are going to step back and say, is that really him? Because I'm scared of that. 
But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything. And so you have to understand, the Bible says in John chapter 20, here's Mary. She knew how to meet him on the road when Lazarus died. She knew how to wash his feet, even though she was scoffed. She knew the Jesus of the gospels. She knew the Jesus of the, she knew the anointed Jesus, not the glorified, big difference. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, and I can dispensate on this and go deeper into this whole story, but I'm not going to do it because that's not my goal this morning. But I, I want to take you to that moment where she shows up at the tomb. Darkness has invaded. Disciples are hiding. Wanted posters are up. She gets up. She just wants to visit one more time, wants to wash his body. He is dead. She just wants to worship. She shows up, she sees a man standing there thinking him to be the gardener because everybody thinks she just kind of got flaky right there. She didn't. Jesus was the second Adam. Adam was the gardener. And when you finally resurrect and quit redecorating the same old tomb, they will not see you for what you were. They will see you for what you created to be. He is the gardener. He's the second Adam. And the Bible says she gets angry. Where have they taken him? And all of a sudden, Jesus said to her, Mary, when is the last time God called your name and you froze? Froze. You just froze. Yes. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic because she was friends with him. She knew his voice in the Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she, and she takes off running towards him. The natural reaction of the gospels, Jesus. But he looks at her and he says, stop. Halt. One version says, he screamed out, do not touch me. What in the world? Now that removes my Santa Claus, Jesus. No, that removes my bumper sticker, t-shirt, Jesus. That removes modern hipster theologian, Jesus. That goes against everything because he says, suffer the little children. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's his business card. We all get that. But now he has just crossed the line. You just became an angry Jesus. And if you become an angry Jesus, I can't serve you because judge not lest you be judged, even though Bible says judge fruit. And, and no, 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 he without sin cast the first stone. Oh, we love to use that. But then he says, go and sin no more. That whole second part always catches us. <laughs> love wins. No, truth wins. Sorry, love will mess a family up, man. And then all of a sudden, he says, do not hold on to me. She runs towards him. And I'll come back to this at the end. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am going to see Dad and your Father. I'm going to see my Dad, your Dad, my God, your God. Oh, watch. Wait a minute, that's not the same Jesus she washed the feet of. He loved that. That was a really cool moment. She was preparing him for burial. Wait a minute, that's not the same Jesus that she had run out to to say Lazarus is dead. And he said that Lazarus is dead and I'm glad because I get to prove I, I can resurrect. Wait a minute, he has now shifted. I'm telling you something. When you go to hell, you change. 
and he had already walked into hell and did war for three days. Oh, you're not getting this yet. I'm going to preach this for a few minutes because now there was a shift. There was a change. And this is what's keeping the church from going to the next level. This is what has stopped every great revival. It has been built off of man's anointing and not God's glory because if God comes in, he might interrupt our schedule. He might interrupt our calendar. He might. Oh, I don't know why they got these revival weekends. Don't they know it's 4th of July? She wanted a hug. She wanted to touch humanity, but he was no longer humanity. He had shifted. He had changed. And until, listen, listen, until Jesus becomes Lord, we will always treat him as yesterday's encounter. And what you got to understand, I'm preaching this because when I wrote Unqualified Book, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 through 28, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called in this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. And it goes on to say that because God uses the nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebody. But then you get to verse 29. We don't understand that. We never go to the second verse. We never go to the we like the catchy phrase. We like the promise box. We like we like the, 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 the Twitter moment. We don't like to go to the next part. And the reason why God is using the unqualified is because of verse 29. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, God says, make yourself of no reputation. Make yourself that when they see you, they should see me they should but this goes against the instagram follower generation this goes against everything we're doing with our i i i'm, I'm getting really ticked off because i'm watching all these people post pictures with a man's face and a scripture and i'm like he didn't write it got some preacher up there and then they got a verse and i'm like it's not from him as if he came up with it but an ignorant society thinks oh wow that was great I'm so sorry if I'm ranting. <laughs> but you must understand where I'm going. I'm reminded I had just arrived home back in May. I, I went to the Ukraine with Sid Roth. Sid called me and said, I want you to go to the Ukraine. I said, why? He said, because you're German Jew and I need you to go preach to the Jews. And I said, I'll go. And so we canceled a calendar. We were supposed to be in Philadelphia at that point. And I canceled everything and I went with Sid to the Ukraine and, and it was unbelievable. We rented out the, uh, I mean, we saw God do some crazy things. At one point we began to pray and the aroma of God filled the hotel room with me and Sid and two other guys. And, and next thing I know, I'm looking out the window and hell is piling up outside. And then we read in Isaiah where hell washes away the refuse. Then we walked across the street to the uh, Odessa. Uh, opera house where Sid would be preaching that day and, and 900 and oh, there's about a thousand Jews that showed up but we ended up having um, instantly Sid just stood there and just talked and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there going well yeah this is, this is neat where's the illustration where's the skinny jeans where is uh, where's coolness and I mean we got to have coolness God can't use you unless you're cool and and he preaches, and all of a sudden, 950 Jews were healed instantly, healed first, then saved, then filled with the Holy Ghost. Jews, Orthodox Jews. And I'm standing, this is from my phone, I'm standing off the edge of the stage going, does not compute, does not compute, does not, this is not, no. How did this just happen? 
The next morning, I was speaking, and, 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 and Russia is marching towards Odessa, and they've had 30 years without the Iron Curtain, but now the Iron Curtain's on its way back, and so there's a lot of fear and, and a lot of stuff going on there, and the pastor said, war is the best thing that has ever happened to us, for the church began to pray again, and I got picked up in the car by the Russian mafia. I mean, <laughs> Boris, Boris, and Boris, and... <laughs> But then I got done preaching and one of them walked up to me and he said, tears. I mean, this is our hired protection. You have to have protection there because you hire the mafia from the, to protect you from the mafia. And you really do. <laughs> hey, Detroit, what's up? And, <laughs> and all of a sudden he walks over to me as I get done preaching and I'm racing, about to race to the airport to go to Vienna and then Germany and back home. And, and, and he goes, I'm changed. Wait a minute, you're not supposed to get moved. You're, you're, you're hired. <laughs> See, you have to understand where I'm going. Because I'm reminded of May 24th after I got home at 4.50 a.m. All of a sudden, I'm laying in bed and my eyes opened up. And obviously, you're dealing with jet lag a little bit because I don't believe in mornings. I'm telling you, I don't want the rapture to happen early. Because I won't have my makeup on. I will be. I believe if God really loves me, he's coming back at 10 a.m. And the Lord wakes me up and all of a sudden he said, will you allow me to interrupt you? And I went, yes, Lord, I'm awake. He said, no, 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 no. Will you allow me to interrupt you? He said, get up and spend time with me. So I, I got out of bed and, and he said, Pat, are you ready? This is exactly what he said to me. Are you ready? It was 4.50 a.m. He said, are you ready to move from the anointing to the glory? I said, what do you mean, God? It's all the same. And I know I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner. I said, why would I walk past the anointing, Lord? And he said, son, glory always interrupts glory or glory always interrupts anointing. He said, the reason why you are frustrated is because you do not know the difference between anointing and glory. What you saw happen in, in, in the Ukraine a few days ago was the glory did that. It had nothing to do with man's giftings. And, 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 and it was early. So, so I, I wrote down in my phone for, uh, I, I ended up writing down in, in my phone 50 verse 4. It was early. I mean, a little dyslexic early in the morning. And instead of Isaiah, or instead of, you know, 450, I wrote 50 verse 4. And so... I Without thinking, I typed in 50 verse 4 in, the, in my, you know, word search or in the uh, Google. And because Jesus can use Google. And, and, and all of a sudden, this verse pops up because I had typed it wrong. I'm dyslexic early in the morning. I don't even know, I, I don't even know who my children are early. And, and, and then I, I open and, and so I, I'm walking downstairs to pray. And all of a sudden, it says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. I said, okay, God, you've got my attention. See, there's an interruption coming this morning. In the next few minutes, he's going to walk in. And when he does, the stuff you've been dealing with for 30 years has to fall off because no flesh can glory in his presence. What you've been battling with, can't have you anymore. All of a sudden you're like, I don't know why I was depressed. I don't know why I was He's God. And when he walks in, I do this. I must step back. I must shrink back. 
So somebody shout, interrupt me, Lord. See, the restoration of glory will require the proclamation of the resignation of self. Only the empowerment by the Spirit of God brings change. What are you talking about? Church, we have so much anointing, but so little glory. And there is an intersection between the glory and the anointing. I need to warn you on this. So let me just start the journey like this and just say to you, I love the anointing. I love it. I love the anointing. It's what came on me really at 16. I love the anointing. It's kept me, man, two and a half million miles. I love the anointing. It breaks the yoke of bondage. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. We love the anointing. In fact, before services, we gather together in the private rooms before services and we pray for something that's already there. Lord, bring the anointing. He's going... Okay. (laughs) Lord, anoint us. Okay. He looks over at the angels and go. The anointing in the Old Testament, the word, one of the words was shemin, and it means to be marked for a purpose, tattooed. The word in the New Testament shifted for, uh, into creo. It's where we get the word Christ, the anointed one. I'll go into that in just a moment. But see, I, I love the anointing. It, it's an awesome thing, and it means, creo means touched for a purpose, created for a purpose. I love the anointing. It's part of God's separation for the chosen. Exodus 40, verse 15. Let's go way, way back. This is the moment where the glory is about to hit the temple. Anoint them just as you anointed their fathers to serve me as priests. Their anointing will bring them into perpetual priesthood down through generations. I believe in generational priesthood. I saw pastor holding Zion a moment ago and I went, there's a pastor. I was talking about Zion. There's two pastors right there. And little Kingston. I got a word about him too. He will be a separator. He will be a divider. He'll be a wall. That's what the Lord says about him. He will be a prophetic voice. But see, you have to understand. I love the anointing in the Holy of Holies. You know, they, they, you had to wear linen ephod. They only made one size. You had to grow into it. But see, I love the anointing. I love the anointing because it choose, it's, it's how God chooses the nobodies. It's, it's, it's really the flask versus the horn. It's versus the man-made versus the God-made. It's David and Saul. David meaning hidden. Saul meaning well-known. It's what happened when, when God was done with Saul. And he said, okay, Samuel, go, go to the house of Jesse. And I'm going uh, to show you the next king. But he would be prophet, priest, and king. And I'm going to raise up this nobody, this 16-year-old kid. And... and And the Bible says, Samuel took his flask of oil, anointed him with his brother standing around watching, and the Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, and God vitally empowering him the rest of his life. I believe these services, you know that service you want to stay home from, is the service where the wind was in front of you. It was the service where you would have been vitally empowered for the rest of your life. It means you don't backslide every six months. It means something is on you. I can't walk away from it. Somebody give me a shout over here. Because see, you got, I love the anointing. I'm just giving you my, 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 my personal here. I love the anointing. 
anointing. It's what empowers the ordinary to walk out a dis, uh, destiny that accomplishes mighty deeds. I love the anointing. It's it's the fingerprint of God on your life. It is 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. So, so we carry something, but there's more. It's more. God says, I put this on you because there's more. Jesus, who was Jesus? He was the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. Why? Because he became our tabernacle. John verse 114. Can I teach you today? Is this all right? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus stood up and he declared who he was. Now watch, because he gives his resume right here. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He's copying Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. The anointed one, the Messiah, to preach the good news. Study the gospels. He went about preaching, teaching, and healing. He declared it. He was going to do it right here. He told him everything he was going to do. To preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, healing, and to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, broken down in calamity. Preaching, teaching. He said, I'm anointed. So Jesus, but what we don't realize is at the moment Jesus tabernacle among us, he gave up glory. If he would have came in glory, it would have killed us all. So he stepped into the anointing and put off the glory. I'll prove it to you. Listen, you got to understand. It's what he said in John 8 verse 54. He says right here, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Jesus said, I've given up the ability to make it happen. It has to be my dad. He has to choose when this is going to take. Mm. What about us? I love the anointing. We think of the anointing as a special identity to function in the life of Christ. It is the grace, the new birth, the ability to be sons. The moment you get saved, the anointing comes upon you. Quit begging for it. It's already there. It's kind of like the gifts of the Spirit. They're already there. Just let them function. In some denominations, we treat baptism of fire as one experience, and that goes against God's word. He said, be filled daily. Well, I'm back in 77, man. I got that tongue thing and I, blah, 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 blah. I just went crazy. And, and man, I'll never forget that. Every day. Sometimes I just ride down the road. He gives me a new prayer language. I record it. It's like, wow. Oh, I mean, I do record it, but just cool. Like, where'd that come from? I sound very Hebrew. <laughs> Going to eat matzah. Now listen. I'm trying to teach you something. You are stuck at one place, but there's more. I'm trying to show you. Oil gets old. I'll never forget working at my grandfather's service station. There was a pit around the side, and it was a square pit, and the old oil, when he would drain the oil from the cars, would flow into this pit. And once a month, this guy would come and pump the old oil out. And my brother and I were told, never go near the, the oil trap. Don't go near the oil trap. Well, being a little rebellious, I'll never forget, I, I was 
chasing my brother and my brother was a little skinnier than me as a fat kid and all of a sudden we're running through the back of the service station and, and I try to grab my brother to kill him obviously and he jumps over the pit and I fell in. Do you know what it's like to get a spanking with oil on you? I'm still cleaning my nails. But old oil stinks. Listen, I'm going somewhere. And then the life of God manifests in us should produce action. It's John chapter 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things uh, than these because I am going to the Father. He was saying the anointing will allow you to step into the giftings. The anointing will let you. It's God's fingerprint. It's Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are my Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. All of us are the work of your hand. So it's the outward working of the New Testament believer that we have stepped into sonship. It's a life of power. I'm teaching you about the anointing for a second. It's 1 John chapter 2 verse 25. It says this is exactly what Christ promised. Eternal life, real life. I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you, but there's no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Are you getting this so far? Christ anointing no less. So I'm anointed but that's not enough. Why? Because we're called to destroy the works of the enemy. It's First John chapter 3, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is, is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. At the moment you get saved, the anointing of God comes on you. Quit running around, waiting on somebody else to lay hands on people. You have the authority to walk up. It's me sitting on a plane recently. I'm sitting on a plane. I was flying somewhere. I was in a demonic small plane. No reason for those. Number one, you can't even cross your legs. You're just like... And I'm flying, and as we get ready to take off, the flight attendant walks by me, and she goes, hey, when we get in the air, will you come up to the front and prophesy over me? She had saw me on television. I said, oh, cool. I get extra crackers. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just true story, the lady sitting next to me looks at me all of a sudden. She goes, she goes, she leans, she's sitting on me. <laughs> and all of a sudden she says, she turns to me and she goes, I'm agnostic. And I looked over at her and I glanced down at her, at her iPad. I said, that's because your 16-year-old daughter was killed in a car accident and you're angry at God. But he is moving in this plane right now. And she begins to weep. She said, how'd you know that? I said, he just told me. The anointing. The anointing, the anointing. Oh, you got to get a hold of this. I love the anointing. I love the anointing. It stays with us. Romans eleven twenty nine. God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. You can walk away from God today. And by the way, if you ever come in here and really get touched by God and tried to leave him or walk away and backslide, go back to your old world, you're going to be miserable. How dare you treat God as he's some sideshow. But could it be that the Lord was waking me up that morning to say to me, you've settled. 
You've settled. I love you enough because I'm a good dad. We know that. That's what the word says in Hebrews. He's a good father. He's not your uncle. He's your dad. He's not just going to tell you how great you are and give you gifts on birthdays. No, no, no. He's a father. That means sometimes he's got to bring correction. And if you ever get beyond correction, you are now in rebellion. And so you have to understand because submission is only a theory till it costs you something. And there is a moment where you begin to realize, wait a minute, you're not there. You have not arrived. You haven't gotten there yet, Pat. You, you don't even know what you're doing yet. I'm trying to take you from glory to glory to glory with a bridge called adversity. He's got to walk you through some things. And some of you have been going through hell lately, but you have no idea. It's not till you walk through hell. Ask Jesus that glory comes. But what you've got to realize is I have decided I don't just want the anointing. Why? The anointing, the intersection of glory and anointing. The anointing will get criticized, but the glory shuts people up. Oh, this is good. Get ready. The anointing gets jealous of others. Glory kills competition. The anointed get tired. Trust me. I know what that's like. Glory endures with power. The anointed get weary, but glory restores strength. I'm trying to teach you something. Some of you don't get this yet. Anointed will make you posture for position. I see it all the time. Glory shuts down self. The anointed desires introduction. Glory doesn't need an introduction. The anointed get tripped up. Glory puts you on your knees where you can't fall. The anointed gets stuck, stuck in, in, in self. Glory removes all desire for self. See, there's a difference. I'm going somewhere. Why? Because we're at the intersection. This house is at the intersection. Every great revival has pretty much stopped at two-year mark. I've studied them. No, they carried them on on the calendar because it became a, a financial machine. But you have to understand, every great revival in American history has stopped at the two-year mark. I've studied it. I just wrote, I studied it deep, deep, deep. I can tell you all of them. But they really say that it started waning or waning or however you say it after the second year. Why? Because somewhere along the way, God said, are you tired of the anointed and are you ready for the glory? He is always slow to the party. He's prepared us to come in here. Expectation is the birthplace of a miracle. He said, get ready because the next level that's coming to this house is his glory. That means there's going to be services where the guest preacher who flew in doesn't get to preach. That means all of a sudden, the worship is going to have their set laid out on the floor where they can see it and it just stops and all of a sudden the glory begins to over. I'm talking, I'm prophesying. There's something coming to this house. The mist of God. The very, what is the glory, Pat? You're telling me I'm anointed, but what what is the glory? Let me teach you. I'm glad you asked. Because what God began to show us that when you plant the altar, that's why we're planting the altars. That after the altar, what is the next step? Glory. Oh, I got to wrap up. I got to wrap up. I've gone too long. You're lucky I'm on Alabama time. But there's a dividing. Glory always follows order. Listen to me. I'm going somewhere. The dividing line between what God drawing close and meeting man has always been the altar. It's the dividing line. It's the middle part. It takes a sacrifice. We can't, I don't have time to go into that. We'll do that tonight. But if you build it, he will come. If you restore his presence, he will come. If you make him have room, he will come. The glory of God. What is the glory of God? Because people don't know what it is. And I understand that because I didn't either. I had experienced it, but I didn't know it. It's his character. It's his personality. It's father's overcoat. How many of you as kids used to put on your dad's? Abby still puts my jacket on after I preach. It's father's overcoat. It's what comes. It's when he walks in the room. We sing about it. When he walks into the room, everything changes. 
Really? Till we move to the next song on the list. What's glory? It's his reputation. It's the father mantle. It's the weight of God. It's the presence of God. It's, it's his overcoat. It's, it's, it's when he begins to warm the bride up to him. It's the manifested presence. It's, it's when he walks in. Glory, by definition, if you study it, is nothing other than the fullness of the Almighty standing in our midst. Oh, you're not getting this yet because it might happen in the next minute. If it does, I'll just stop. I'll finish this tonight. But because if he walks in... If he walks in, I had it happen to me in a hotel room in the Ukraine where suddenly I was like, the aroma of God. When he walks in, I've learned to do ministry without the glory. I'm so sorry I resigned. It's, it's the divine in, 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 in interruption and interaction. John Piper said, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the, the going public of his holiness. The glory of God has always been an orchestrated intruder. He says, if you'll just do this, glory follows order. Glory follows order. This is why you don't have God in your home. You have no order. You, you treat God as some sideshow Buddha that you rub when you get in trouble. And he's saying, you don't understand. If you'll change the way you do your house, if you'll change the way you get out of bed if you get out of bed with an expectation of I know you're here just let me see you it's it's when you begin to anoint your kids everybody running we got to get to this you know hey I love revival till till travel ball starts it's it's I love revival but till, till production time starts with the playhouse I, I love revival until un, un, until NFL season starts on it uh, I love revival until and it's because you constantly are rearranging God when he says I have a exact order that I have been in place study my word I'll prove to you his order I hope you're ready for this because I'm gonna prove something to you because this is the when it comes the anointing takes a back seat John the John the Baptist was anointed he was the prepare of the way but the bible says he began to decrease that christ might increase john got it that's why jesus said he's the greatest man ever born he had a revelation of god god's glory always put that in 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 redneck terms turn off your tv turn off your phone Turn off Facebook. Turn on worship. And wait. 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 Just wait. From the very beginning, God has always set an order. God specifically made an order from the creation of the earth, from the seas, the lands, to the animals, then to man, and the naming of man. And, and, and God is a God of order. When God tells them to build the temple in the Old Testament, you know this story, right? God gives, gives them the plans. He says, I don't just want you to be abstract. I don't just want you to create something and I'll pop in and say, oh, that was cool. I'd have done this a little different. No, he gave them an order. He gave them a whole plan. He gave them this process. This, your pastors are in order right now. 
They're walking out the order. That means, what you, but we used to do this fun thing once a year as a church, and it might change now because it doesn't fit the order that God is speaking. It means things start shifting. God doesn't turn them loose and say, go ahead, build just something. No, no. In Exodus 25, 8 and 9, then make the, make me a sanctuary, and, and I will dwell among them. Make this, And he goes on and begins to give them orders. Exodus 35 through 40, he lays it all out. This kind of wood, this type of altar, this here's how the priests are to dress. God gets it all together. And it just seems like pomp and circumstance. I mean, it just seems like getting ready some, for some big festival. Until Exodus 40, the Bible says, and the glory came in. You have to understand. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, Exodus 40, verse 34. And, and, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Why? Because they had done everything he said to do. He said, you prepare for me. I am not coming as a guest. I'm coming to inhabit. I am coming to live here. I'm not just a once a month guest. Gathering. I'm not just at three days a month. I am going to begin to come. Three days a month is the culmination of a month done right. No, I, I've been saying it for years. I don't want to be the evangelist that lives between offerings. I want to be the evangelist that lives between altar calls. And so you have to understand, I have made up my mind. And God told me, if you do this right, you will be hated. If you do this right, you will be loved by him. Would you rather be hated by those that are waiting to hate you or love by the one that has always loved you? There's a moment where you begin to say, I don't care anymore. I don't care if you schedule me anymore. I don't care if you like me anymore. I don't care if you say he's washed up anymore because I have been living in this place for several years of going, there's got to be more. I got to find it. There's got to be more. Wait a minute. That means I may have to cut off old friendships. He's about to walk in. He's about to walk in. Glory follows order. Remember what happened with David? Second Samuel chapter 6. He goes, he's like, I got to have the ark. I got to have the ark. It's like the ultimate trophy for a king. I got to get the ark. I got to get it out of the field. He goes down, gets the ark. They throw it on a, it's, it was never meant to be on a, a, a you know, a wagon with, with, with oxen. It was created for the, Jesus had already, God had already said how to carry the ark, but he didn't listen. Instead, he's like, put it out there on the wagon. I mean, let's go. What? Then they get to the threshing floor of Nacon. It starts to slip and Saul's grandson reaches out and grabs it. His name is Uzzah. Uzzah means doing it in man's own strength. He reaches out and grabs it, and he dies instantly. And David gets so discouraged that they take the ark and put it in Obed's house, who had revival for 90 days. Crazy, man. He never left it. He followed it. So David, having learned his lesson, the Bible says in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, that he's got to break some curses. He's got to do something here. He didn't know that the altar he was about to build would be the altar that would be used for generations, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But he walks up, and the guy goes, Aaron says, hey, king, I just want to give you the land. He said, no, I will ask if nothing doesn't cost me something. You know what I've learned about true revival? Poverty and revival are not brothers and sisters. They're arch enemies. God is not your amusement park ride. Your discounted ticket. Well, I want revival, Pat. Really? Read Acts 4. <laughs> they gave everything. Anyway, it's just the Bible. Watch. 
So look what David does. No, no, I can't ask. So then what happens? Then Solomon eventually builds the temple. And then what happens? He gets everything completely done, gets the temple built. We went from the tent to the temple. He builds the temple and immediately it's like, we're done. We're done. Solomon built this palatial house for God to rest upon. And then all of a sudden, by the time we get to first King chapter eight, verse 10, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priest could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. They did it all right. What I'm trying to get across to this house is don't you dare go back to the 1980s anointing, the 1990s anointing. This is the new dispensation of the glory of God, and he's coming in here. And i got to wrap this up, but you got to get a hold of this because, well, it's, it's 400 years later, you know, Israel gets taken over. I'll talk about this tonight. And then what did they do? What did Ezra and Zerubbabel do? They rebuilt the altar, and Hosea would prophesy that the glory of the... What are Hosea? Bring that verse up for me if it's Hosea. Haggai, excuse me. Haggai, the latter glory of this house should be greater than the former. That was prophesying because everybody was judging how bad they built the temple. And the Lord says, the glory shall be greater. What about your home? Is it chaotic? I know mine's been that way. Adjustments bring new levels and new devils. The anointing is the key. The altar is the door. The glory is the reward. Listen. Don't settle for just the anointing. We're living in terrible times. That's why Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise and shine for your light has come. Habakkuk 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory. You do realize Jesus gave up the glory to establish his kingdom. You understand that, right? Could it be that we have not tasted glory because somewhere along the way it will require the death of the agenda and the establishment of his authority? What do you mean? We've settled for grace and we became enamored with the anointed and we have reduced the glory to lights, sound, and inaction. Because we don't get people healed anymore. We don't see people de delivered anymore because that's really not cool church anymore. But I love what Jonathan Edwards, the father of the Great Awakening, said, Grace is but glory begun and glory is but grace perfected. There's a moment where you begin to understand the relevance of man's message. Could it be the dwelling place of God has been hijacked by the relevance of a man's message? The anointing is God's authorization into a person's life to do the work. Come on, bring up the, uh, to, the to the work of the ministry but the glory is God's weighty presence. Bring up the Tommy Tenney quote real quick for me if you have it. I love this. You can't seek his face and save your face. The end of your glory, the dismantling, if you please, is the beginning of his glory. I'm going somewhere. Do you want the anointing? I don't. I mean, I got it. It's there. I can't get rid of it. But you have to realize God is saying there's more. And, we, and, and listen, you can't seek his face and save your face. We love the anointing and God's touch in our lives more than God taking control. And thus we have fallen to the same lie as Satan did in the heavenlies. And there's a moment where you say, I love what God has empowered me to do. I am ready. I am a fired up believer. I carry the gospel of, of, of Jesus with me. I am fitted with the gospel. I, have, I carry my sword of the spirit. I've got on my, my, my breastplate of righteousness. I've got on my helmet of salvation. I've got my shield of faith, my sword of the spirit, my belt buckle of truth. And God's saying, but when you get done with me, that's like that level, this level up here, you're going to be naked. There ain't nothing left of you because I'm going to strip you down and start you over. I'm going to leave you running like Isaiah through the crowd. There's a moment where you say, I want his good. Somebody say, interrupt us. 
John Piper said this, if you feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. If you don't feel strong desires. And we have judged the preacher today by their public persona all the while ignoring God's call for the secret encounter. And man assigns favor or anointing to popularity. But dare I tell you, some of the greatest in the kingdom are in other nations in shacks. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows them. And Andrew Murray said humility, and I'm, I'm getting ready to close in a moment is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Giftings personified does not mean God's glorified. To preach a happy message just creates an entertained bride who eventually gets weary looking for the next. I've prayed for the anointing. But then one morning I was praying and the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, as I'm changing you on the inside, I need you to know that there's been special spirits dispatched from hell to go after today's anointing, to make them feel like they have to be like this world in order to win this world. There is demons on assignment. The different levels of demons, I don't want to get into that. Prince of power, the other, I mean, there's different levels. But the Lord says, there are those that are operating in divination and they don't even know it because demons are whispering to them, you got to do this to win them. And God's standing over here going, it's not that way. And the demons are going, you've got to entertain them. You can only preach about grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. Make them laugh through the whole sermon. Make them ride the wave. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. And we stand up on Sunday morning, and demons are standing back laughing, and God is standing back weeping, saying, My church doesn't know me. They still want me to be, suffer the little children come unto me. When I am glorified, I am king, I am God, I am mighty. The nations tremble at my voice. One flail of a finger sends a million angels on assignment. He says, I am God. If my glory will become manifest in the church again, if my glory, you won't be able to capture it on Facebook Live. It will be something that can't be explained. You'll look like a bunch of radical fools because there's going to be an outbreak of God's presence. And this is what he said to me. Pat, you are at the intersection of anointing and glory. Are you ready to change? And I sat in my prayer room and I said, If a 76-year-old man can stand up and tell his te personal testimony as a Jew of having an encounter with God, and there was no hype, there was no music, there was no video, there was no PowerPoint, there was nothing. And then 950 Jews say, I want to be healed. Then 950 Jews go, I declare Jesus is the Christ. Then 950 Jews go, and I'm standing in the corner going, how did that happen? Three hours 
men. Because when man becomes the author of his own book, the book is shallow. And God says, do you understand anointed leaders without the glory is a powerless church. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, from my message, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He's a short, hunchback, bald guy, look like Yoda. He said, if you're coming to see like the coolest, he didn't have no skinny jeans. No, 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 no. He didn't have the newest Jordans. No, no. He didn't have his head shaved. No, 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 no. No, no. He didn't have it all going on. He He's just standing there and he said if my message if my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with demonstration of spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on the guy on stage and on his little infinite tiny or very little weak wisdom and his coffee shop tweets but on God's power, God's power, I got to, see, you got to ask yourself, which Saul are you? There was two Sauls in the Bible. One had the anointing, the, the, the Moshiach, he had the Old Testament anointing. I mean, that was King Saul, but I mean, he was pulled out of the crowd for Samuel 10, but, but King Saul had, had built one altar. He only built one altar in his life in 1 Samuel 14, verse 35. Paul lived on the altar. Oh, by the way, Saul in the New Testament became Paul. See, I've learned the stage has the power to seduce you, but God will reduce you. King Saul was rejected by God, 1 Samuel 15, verse 26. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You've been rejected. You've rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected the, you as king of Israel. King Saul wanted his approval, so then he looks, over, he looks over at him and says, Hey, will you at least go on stage with me so nobody knows? That's what he goes on to say in the next verse. Are you a Saul or are you a Paul? Are you a Saul or are you a Saul? And yet Paul died to his own desires, Galatians. As for me, I may, may never boast about anything except the cross. Let me close. Let's talk about the intersection of the anointing and the glory. Mary shows up in the garden. She wants to cling to Jesus. She wants him to be the guy that sat in her house and ate. She wants him to be the guy that resurrected her brother and brought their family back together. She wants him to be the one that smiled at her when the whole world scorned her. But he couldn't be. Because he had been to hell. Because he had set the captive free. Because he had paid a price. He had become the sacrifice. Before that, he was just a lamb in preparation. And this is what I came to tell you. And in John 20, verse 17, he said, do not hold on to me. Go. Go now. I'll let you see me. The anointing is the key. The altar is the door. The glory is the reward. Jesus had become the altar, right? I mean, study the altars in the Bible. I have. Glory always comes, then rain, then you anoint the farmers, the Elishas, because rain comes and you have a crop coming up. It's a pattern for revival. But Hebrews 10, 19 says that he became my door. Hebrews 13 says he's the altar I can't eat from. <laughs> so he became the altar you can't. Paul got it, but Mary didn't get it. 
He was letting her know, quit treating me like yesterday. I am God. In our desire to make Jesus in blue jeans for the world, we have reduced him from divinity to simplistic majesty, thus removing our ability to recognize him when we get to heaven or in a church service. And God told me to come and say to you, get your life in order. The anointing is the key. The altar is the door. The glory is the reward. What do you mean, Pat? Oh, listen. It's what Paul said. Because we must become reflectors. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen people riding bikes at night? Maybe you ride a bike at night. I'm sorry. <laughs> have you ever come up on somebody and they're like, they were not wearing reflectors. <laughs> if I'd have hit him, it's, his, it's, it's on him. But then the other people, they're like, <laughs> I mean, they got strobe lights on. Somebody's mama said, you ain't leaving until you put the strobe lights on. Do you know what we are in this dark world? I'm a reflector. It's the hundreds of kids I've seen touch this summer. The girl that came up to me that I've been raped by my dad. I mean, I'm a reflector. Why are they coming to me? Because I'm reflecting. I'm reflecting. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So to all of us, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit. Now listen, this is it. Come worship team, please. Come and join me. See, you have to understand. God says, I'll allow you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'll let glory sit inside of you. But until we arrest our flesh and take the handcuffs off the Holy Ghost, we're just playing house as children. The anointing is the key. The altar is the door. The glory is the reward. Then what do you do to Mary? What do you say to Mary? Hey, Mary, don't touch me. Go tell everyone. The glory of the Lord is risen. The glory of the Lord is risen. Do you know the only time Jesus that I could figure out was touched after the resurrection was Thomas. Remember, he walks in one week later, walks in the room, Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, no, different Jesus now. Thomas goes, prove it. And at that exact moment, Jesus comes walking. The doors are locked. He walks through the wall. He says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. It doesn't say that Thomas did it. It just says he just went, my Lord, my God. You know what I found out? Why did he let Thomas touch him and not Mary? Because God always lets doubt touch glory. To fill the hole in your life. He says something so profound, doesn't he? He spoke about us. Jesus was, this is the last beatitude in the Bible. Everybody thinks the beatitudes are, you know, just over in John the fifth chapter, but it's not. 
job for you. Because you've seen me and you believe, blessed are those. There's that blessed are those. Wait a minute. He's not on the mountain just hanging out with the boys having a picnic teaching. This is the last blessed in the Bible. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet they believe. He said, Thomas, I had to prove it to you. I let, I let you touch glory because Jesus was in the manifest glorification of God at this point. He had come out of hell, and when he walked out of hell, God clothed him back with glory again. He got redressed. I don't have time to go through that whole thing, but there's another teaching coming. I asked the Lord why he wanted me to preach this here. Because you're at the crossroads, the two-year crossroads. the door. The glory is the reward. The priest come up to the altar, lay the sacrifice, and the glory would come. The anointing is the key. You don't have glory in your house because you smell like old oil. You're living off of last year's move of God. What if glory came in? I got to do something. You'll forgive me just for a second. Just no music for just a second, please. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, he asked me just now to be quiet. 